Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, it's warming up and heading into that time of the year when people are likely to be out and about. Gasoline prices could keep people closer to home. And long-term Lexington has some projects underway right now that the city hopes will bring in more visitors. In just a few minutes, we'll be talking to Mary Quinn Raymer of Visit Lex. But first, the Fayette County Health Commissioner is here, brand new on the job. After a two-year pandemic, COVID rules are relaxing, numbers are dropping. Lexington has had around 92,000 cases of COVID and around 600 deaths. It has not been easy. Dr. Joel McCullough has recently said things are obviously improving, but we have to be ready to respond to another spike or other challenges that could be out there. The commissioner has been on the job a little over a month. He comes to Lexington after stints at the CDC, the Chicago Board of Health, and most recently, he ran the Spokane Washington Regional Health Department. Dr. McCullough replaces Dr. Craig Humbaugh, who delayed his retirement to deal with the pandemic. Dr. McCullough, welcome. We appreciate you coming in very much. Thank you for having me. Hope you're finding yourself uh, welcome in Lexington. Uh, I am so far. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, how do you describe your first month uh, leading the, the, the health department here? Uh, the first month's been fairly busy. We've been, for the most part, dealing with COVID and uh, the COVID response, and that's been spending most of my time uh, on that activity and also getting to know the, the city and the department. But it's been, for the most part, concentrating on the COVID response. Do you like your team that you've met so far? Uh, we had an excellent team. Uh, they're very good at what they do. And uh, so I'm very happy with the work that they've done throughout the pandemic and uh, they're welcoming here and my integration into the team. Yes. We seem to be uh, uh, getting out of the grips of the COVID pandemic, at least now, uh, based on local data. Uh, what are your own observations uh, and, and where do you think things stand as it relates to COVID? I think right now we're on the downslope of the latest uh, spike, the Omicron curve, and our num all our numbers are dropping, the case numbers are dropping, the hospitalizations are dropping. Uh, so we're going in the right direction. Um, we're looking at um, what we should be doing in terms of prevention strategies. And um, I think at this point we're moving to uh, less, we're still having a layered strategy, but I think given kind of where we are, we're gonna be lessening uh, some of the restrictions uh, very soon. Do you have to remain <clears throat> nimble with uh, something like this? Uh, we have to remain nimble. You have to pay attention to the data. We're looking at the data uh, every day and see where, where we are. We're looking at the national data and local data to see where we are. And we're also looking at international data to see where, where we are in terms of the various variants. Do you have some <clears throat> concerns with what you see uh, internationally? Uh, there are some concerns internationally. There are uh, some different spikes in different parts of the world. So the Pacific, the Pacific area, we're seeing some spikes. We're seeing some spikes in, in some parts of Europe. Um, uh, all those spikes are related to the what's called the stealth variant, the B2 variant. Uh, so we are concerned about that. Um, we're also been, we're also monitoring the uh, the variants in the U.S. as well. So we're seeing in the U.S. that the stealth variant, the B2 variant, is steadily increasing in the U.S., but it's not spiking uh, like Omicron did, did originally, for example. You agreed, apparently, that it was okay for now to relax uh, some of the rules. Uh, for instance, the Fayette County <coughs> School System went mask optional uh, this week. Uh, most businesses and organizations have also taken that step. 
you know, are we okay with that unless there is another uh, spike where we see the numbers uh, going up? Uh, we've been following the uh, data from the CDC and our own local data. And uh, what's happened in the last few weeks, there's a different framework to, for thinking about how we do um, different uh, strategies to control COVID. And uh, so our latest data um, shows that we're in, there's three different levels that the CDC g gives communities with regard to COVID risk. So um, we were in the high level for most of the time since they established these levels. But recently our data is showing that we're in the uh, medium, medium level or the moderate level. So at that level, it is safe to go mask optional at the uh, moderate level. And, and optional means that. There, there may be some who remain comfortable wearing masks, yes. and you, uh, I'm sure, would make a point, as many healthcare professionals do, that's fine and respect that, uh, you know, if, if you're someone who makes the other choice. Uh, actually, we do encourage people to continue to use masks regardless of what that level is based on your own individual circumstance. So, um, so for example, if you're immunocompromised, we recommend that you continue to use masks. If you're in a risky setting, like in a, living in a situation where there's multiple people, uh, we recommend that you do continue to wear a mask. So the, the masking recommendation that I've talked about earlier is for the general indoor environments, um, not high risk, um, but just the general environments. But there are certain situations where masks would still be recommended. The pandemic was, uh, was revealing in lots of ways. Yeah. And one of the things that we saw in Lexington uh, was a, a racial disparity when it yeah. comes to health care and to, to uh, at the time, the vaccinations uh, for, for a period and, and some other things. Uh, how do you close those gaps in the community? Uh, that is a long-standing challenge that is with us now and will likely be with us in the future. Uh, I think the, what the pandemic showed is the uh, disparities that exist in our society and the pandemic basically re revealed that. So I think it's a matter of recognizing that there are disparities and making efforts to address those, those disparities and, and inequities in our, in our community. So at Public Health, we're putting inequity in the forefront of our efforts in, to, in terms of improving the community's health. So I think the first phase is recognition and then the second phase is working as a community what we can do about the inequities. An outreach effort? Outreach, education, determining how much inequity there are there is in the community and working with different sectors to bridge those gaps. Healthcare is one sector where we need to work but all sectors, it's not only healthcare that we're talking about the inequities. It's most of, most sectors of society, there is some inequity uh, that needs to be addressed. We uh, learned a lot about public health uh, during the pandemic, certainly, and uh, we also saw many were resistant to, to uh, some of the guidelines and recommendations and, and uh, to vaccines for, uh, for a period of time as well. Uh, this, has public health done a good job over this two-year pandemic of, uh, of, of mitigating the, the situation? Uh, with regard to the resistance to the recommendations, I think that there's always opportunities for improvement there. I mean, I think, I think one of the challenges has been that the pandemic has changed rapidly over the course of a couple years, and we've learned more information as the pandemic has gone f further. And uh, so I think there is 
there has been some confusion in the different recommendations given at different times. Um, so I do think there's room for improvement, um, but I but I think one of the challenges, like I said earlier, is that evolving process, new information. For example, the initial confusion about regarding cloth masks and how well they should work, that type of thing. So government yeah. messaging could have been better as well, uh, uh, at probably could, every could, level? Uh, at most levels, and I th at most levels, but I also think we really didn't have a uniform messaging from at all levels, from the federal, state, and on down. So I, I think that could have been improved upon. Other health yeah. challenges have gone on yeah. uh, during this. Yes. And uh, we know the, the opioid uh, abuse seems to have uh, gotten worse uh, during that time. Some uh, also skipped uh, important screenings uh, yes. uh, and so on. Uh, how do we work to get people healthy again after COVID? Uh, at the health department, we're um, working on kind of rolling out the activities that we, we've been doing before the pandemic. We've been um, doing less of the work, uh, especially less in-person work because of the need to uh, social distance, et cetera, before, um, like during the pandemic. Um, but I think it's going to take additional effort, not only from public health, but health care to uh, let people know that there is a need to continue their usual health care, their, their normal screenings. Um, so I think there's a need for public health and health care to work together to make that, make that available. An area of interest uh, for, for a lot of people yeah. with the health department is uh, restaurant inspections. Mm -hmm. uh, people go out, they eat. There's a mm -hmm. lot of takeout uh, right. these days, certainly. Uh, how <laughs> thorough and how transparent uh, will you insist they be? Uh, I think our environmental health inspectors do a great job in terms of uh, inspecting the different types of food establishing, ensuring that the safe and sanitary practices are followed, uh, making sure that the, the food code is properly adhered to by the different establishments. I think it's important that that's done thoroughly and fairly, uh, but transparency is also important. So what we're doing at the health department is we are advertising the inspection scores and inspection records of the different establishments online so uh, citizens will know uh, what type of inspection uh, result came from the different establishments. Yeah. What is something that you uh, plan to change with the health department that you've seen in this uh, first month on the job? Uh, well I'm still in the learning phase of the health department. I've only been there for a month or so. There's a lot for me still to learn about the health department and in Lexington in general. I mean, I believe that um, the role of this position is to work in not only just improving the health and not necessarily what are my priorities, but what are the needs of the community and what are the assets, assets of the community. Uh, so I think my process is to learn the, the health department, learn the community, learn about the assets and needs and determine a, a plan moving forward. One of the responsibilities of public health is certainly to uh, be sure the community is ready to deal with whatever kind yeah. of emergency could come along, including exactly. uh, natural disasters uh, and so forth. Obviously, we've seen it with uh, disease, with, uh, with uh, uh, COVID. Uh, how will the health department, under your leadership, encourage people to have a plan for unforeseen circumstances? Uh, we have a really great um, preparedness, public health preparedness program at the health department, and part of that's, part of its mission is to encourage readiness of our, of our citizens for any type of disaster, like you said, natural or any other type of disaster, and, and that is 
part of that mission is messaging to ensure that that communication goes out to make sure that everyone knows what they need to do and make sure that everyone has a plan for for unforeseen circumstances. So, so that, that's part of our mission. Do you see your role as a, a chiefly advisory? Uh, is it advocacy when it comes to public health? Uh, uh, will there be times when, for instance, you would go before city government and say this needs to be done? I would say all of the, all of the above. I think it's, um, the role is advisory in terms of the, you know, the, the specific public health um, recommendations that need to be, to be made, but it's also advocacy in terms of, uh, because we're not, we can't do all we want to do just all by ourselves. Uh, so basically advocacy is a big part of, of, of the, the position that I have in terms of convincing others uh, that we are moving in the right direction. There was some controversy <coughs> about a, a needle exchange program that the health department has operated for some years. Mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> are you supportive of, of an effort to, uh, like that to, to keep the spread of disease from happening among those who may be uh, intravenous drug users? Uh, I'm a big advocate of harm reduction programs like the needle exchange program and the example of harm reduction. Um, I think a part of that is we need to meet people where they are. And some people are not ready to discontinue uh, drug use. And uh, what harm reduction does is prevent other types of harm coming to those individuals, such as different types of infections, such as HIV. So uh, th those programs have been shown to be effective and reducing those types of infections. So I'm, I'm a bit, big advocate of those type of programs. We had a, those types of programs in Washington and, and I am a big supporter. Appreciate you coming by. Yeah. Hope you'll keep us up to date from time to time on what's going on. I'll make sure I do that. All right, thank we you. thank you very thank much you. for coming in. Thank you. And we hope you'll stay with us. We'll be visiting with Visit Lex in just a moment and see who may be visiting the town. <laughs> We're coming back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers, and we're so glad to have you with us. The COVID pandemic has loosened its grip, and spring break season is getting underway. We know the pandemic took its toll on tourism numbers in Kentucky, and countless events have been canceled over the last two years. But some also took advantage of that time to finish up projects, to retool, and to plan for the future. Mary Quinn Raymer is president of Visit Lex, where she oversees marketing and convention activities in central Kentucky. Mary, welcome. We appreciate you coming in very much. Thank you for having me. You know, we know the impact of the pandemic was 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 tough. Uh, we all had to put on a brave face and, and, and get through it and realize that there were going to be some plummeted numbers. Uh, how is Lexington positioned now that we're, you know, two years into it? People are now feeling more comfortable because the numbers are down getting back out into uh, public settings. Well, you said it. You said it very well. We all had to put on a brave face. It was rough sledding there for several months, but I'm very pleased to sit here with you today in person and tell you that we are well on our way in the recovery phase of the tourism industry here locally. So we've got a great spring that is just about to get kicked off and we're super excited about being back and doing the things that we love that are so part and parcel to living in Central Kentucky this time of year. You have some major conventions that are uh, coming up later in the spring. We do, so we're very thrilled that Alltech is bringing its one symposium back in person in May. It'll be down at the Central Bank Center, and of course you know when Alltech is in town because their delegates are all over downtown, eating out and enjoying many of the wonderful attractions that we have. 
We also have a new group to our city, the Seventh-day Adventists. They're going to be meeting here in June. They would not have been able to fit in Lexington had it not been for this fabulous expansion that we've just about completed at the Central Bank Center. So we're really excited about um, our group business being back and being able to welcome a whole new group of folks to town uh, due to this expanded convention center. In some ways, the, the pandemic represented opportunity, as we said, to get some things done. Absolutely. Right? There were several silver linings, and one of those is the accelerated completion phase of the convention center expansion project. And so we did not waste any time. We had an empty building. Of course, we weren't doing concerts or basketball games or any large scale conventions there for many months and we were able to actually get ourselves a little head of schedule um, on that on that project. Does it make sense that uh, that higher gasoline prices may prompt people to stay closer to home as we uh, get into the spring and summer when uh, uh, people you know want to travel and get out and maybe they'll see some local flavor uh, instead sure. of taking those long trips? Sure. I, I, we of course would love to have plenty of folks from the surrounding region and, and across the state of Kentucky come visit us this summer summer in Lexington. We're watching gas, gas prices. We think for sure it'll be a factor that we have to monitor closely. That being said, we uh, follow a national traveler sentiment study. And for the people that are in this country that travel with any sort of regularity, 95% of them have travel plans in the next six months. So that should speak to the pent up demand that people have to be back out on the road. So whether they come from close or far, we don't care. We're just happy to have them coming back. When people are curious about uh, the Lexington area and they want to know what the bluegrass offers, uh, what, what do we tell them? So I, of course, am totally partial. I think it's a fabulous destination. I, I oftentimes say that we are a mid-sized city that punches way above our weight class. Obviously, we've got a world-class um, university headquartered right here in Lexington, the University of Kentucky. We've got a thriving uh, equine industry, which is one of the state's signature industries, as well as a thriving bourbon industry. We've got beautiful outdoors. I tell people it's almost like the entire city is a national park of sorts. We've got a really fun, um, compact, and, and very walkable downtown, uh, great food and beverage. So I feel like that no matter what your flavor is, there's something in Lexington that will um, delight you. There have been some recent efforts to increase security in the downtown area. Yes. And the sheriff's deputies are doing extra patrols. How concerned are you uh, that downtown be perceived to be a safe place to be? Well, obviously safety is very important. No one wants to be traveling in a, in a place where they feel like there is um, the potential to be unsafe. And so we are working alongside several of the bodies that have come together downtown to discuss safety. Um, no, we don't want any visitor to wake up and, and turn on their TV in their hotel room and, and hear about something that's happened like that in our downtown. So we hope that with all these people around the same table, we can come up with some good solutions and we can begin to um, minimize any of that sort of negative impact in the downtown core. Fair to say it's been a point of concern though in it recent weeks? It has been a point of concern, yeah. of course. Uh, the Town Branch Commons project, moving right along, Absolutely. said to be 90% complete. Uh, what will that mean when it is complete? So I think there's um, a great opportunity for people to enjoy the walking experience in our downtown, so much more so with the completion of the Town Branch Commons. Um, it's a great way to connect the east end of downtown to the west end of downtown. 
Of course, once the convention center project is complete, they'll start construction on Town Branch Park, which will be just on the west side of that building. And so I think you're going to have a really interesting promenade throughout our downtown that allows a, a very enjoyable uh, walking experience, which is great. Do you think people have a good idea of what it is? <laughs> I think people are starting to understand. Now that you can actually be in downtown, you right. can see the, the expansion of the sidewalks and, and the green bike lanes and, and all the plantings that will certainly be um, coming along this spring. I think people will begin to understand uh, much better what, what we're trying to do with these pocket parks in our downtown. The drone video sort of helped. Uh, it? Sure, of <laughs> Get some perspective. Uh, what do you know about this uh, Lexington professional soccer proposal that is out there that uh, could mean uh, it looks to be it'll be a stadium and, and right. uh, hotel and, and, and maybe more uh, that could bring uh, some big crowds to the city? Well, we know this much about this uh, market and this area. We are sports fans and enthusiastically so. So when they uh, announced the uh, Lexington Soccer League, we were thrilled, very excited to see how their plans will come to fruition over the next couple of years as they're getting their team up and running. And I think you'll get a great response from folks in Central Kentucky. Of course, if you just look at youth soccer and what's happening on the ball fields on the weekends, you've got a lot of people really interested in the sport. And I think that'll translate to a lot of enthusiasm in the stadium. How well are events coordinated within the city? Uh, you, you know, the, <laughs> there are, <laughs> I mean, and that's your job, right? But there's some who say, you know, it, it's feast or famine. You know, it's like right. all of a sudden there, there, everything happens one weekend and then the next weekend there's, it's quiet, you know. Uh, sure. So is there a way, is there a rhythm to the way that it sort of all plays out? I wish that there was some magic uh, answer to this question. It is something that those of us who are in the um, event business are always looking, you know, where, where's that sweet spot? Where can we maximize a, a date on the calendar? That being said, of course, the pandemic messed this up a little bit, but it's hard to not have something going on in town anymore. It's just a very robust social calendar. And I think that just speaks to the nature of this community, how much folks enjoy getting out and about and, um, I think more than uh, famine, we, we deal with the opposite, which is you've got several options on the same weekend, and so narrowing your choices <laughs> is, is the tough part. You're a self-proclaimed foodie. Uh, uh, you, yes. You, you like a, a restaurant Love scene. food. <laughs> did, did the restaurant scene uh, hang on uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, that you think it'll be strong going forward? I absolutely think it will be strong going forward. Of course, there were some restaurants that we lost that closed during yep. the pandemic, and that is always hard. Um, that being said, we saw some great resiliency from our restaurant partners. They have just come back. Some of them have come back even, you know, bigger and better than they were. A lot of our local mom and pop uh, restaurants figured out ways to do curbside and takeout. And so that's going to be a great revenue stream for them, even on the other side of this pandemic. And so I think you will still find a really wonderful, diverse and robust culinary scene in Lexington um, moving forward. The bourbon industry uh, met this week in Lexington and they talked about where they are and they seem to think that bourbon tourism and bourbon sales will continue to grow. Uh, do you have any reason to uh, think otherwise? I do not. I think it is robust here and in the immediate future and even the long-term future. There does not seem to be any slowing down of the interest in, in bourbon and um, the opportunity to come to Kentucky and experience bourbon in its birthplace and, and all the wonderful tastings and, and lifestyle things that go with the bourbon industry. About half a minute left here. What 
what is the calling card for Lexington? How do you sell the city? What, what do you say? To, somebody may check website, you know, from another state sure. or from Canada or somewhere. What, what's out there about Lexington? Well, I think that we are very quick to say that we have a signature equon industry and a signature landscape that you really will not find anywhere else. That we are charming, and that we are approachable, and that we have some of the nicest people you will ever meet. And so uh, that's a great package, and we feel really privilege that we get to put that out for people every single day. Mary Quinn Raymer from Visit Lex. Thanks for coming by as always. Appreciate Thanks, you. Joe. All right. Appreciate it. Stay with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Millions of Ukrainians running for cover, racing to protect themselves, their families and their culture. UNESCO World Heritage Sites are under attack and architecture from the medieval and renaissance periods could be lost forever. Our national political analyst Greta Van Susteren has more. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren and here's your full court fast break. In Ukraine, buildings exploding, bombs raining down, Russian troops destroying everything in their path. The windows in Kharkiv Art Museum shattered, tens of thousands of priceless artworks exposed to the elements. And across the country, public squares reduced to smithereens. The director of the United Nations World Heritage Center warns, it is a whole cultural life that risks disappearing. As you know, Russian President Vladimir Putin insists Ukraine is part of greater Russia, something proud Ukrainians deny. The director of the Lviv National Art Gallery told the Washington Post, Putin knows that without art, without our history, Ukraine will have a weaker identity. He says that is Putin's intention, to erase Ukraine and assimilate it. Ukrainian soldiers, militias, and armed civilians are fighting back, doing their best to prevent that. But so are museum directors, artists, and volunteers. They are taking down paintings, storing them underground, or sending them to museums abroad for safekeeping. Churches are protecting precious stained glass windows against shrapnel. Bunkers are filling up with rare books and antiquities, and monuments are being wrapped up, surrounded in sandbags to better withstand airstrikes. Deliberately destroying a country's heritage is a war crime. We can only hope peace is soon restored in Ukraine, that its people will be safe and its museums fill up with cultural treasures again. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. That's Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.